I took the Enneagram in preparation for this episode and I have my results here and I would love to tell you where I scored the highest and lowest and get a little insight into my, how this may affect my sexuality and relationships. You're listening to Love and Libido with me, your host, Dr. Emily Jamia. The goal of this podcast is to educate and inspire. My hope is that you will learn tools to create connection and cultivate passion, both within yourself and in your relationships. Here's what's coming up on today's episode. What does your personality type say about your sexual and relationship tendencies? The Enneagram has become an increasingly popular personality assessment and can tell us so much about our romantic and sexual nature. What does it mean if you score high on number two, which is helper, but low on number five, which is the investigator? We are going to dive into each of the nine types with sex and personality expert, Lindsay Frazier. I took the personality assessment myself and Lindsay shared some interesting insight about what it might say about my sexuality. I'm getting vulnerable with you guys today. But first, let's learn more about our guest. Lindsay is a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist, and an international Enneagram Association accredited Enneagram professional. She has presented on the intersection of the Enneagram, relationships, and sexuality in various U.S. and international forums. Lindsay also has a small private practice for the last 12 years in South Minneapolis, where she specializes in relationships and sexuality using the Enneagram. Without further ado, let's welcome Lindsay. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. My inbox is flooded with DMs on a daily basis with people just like you who want help with their sex and relationship issues. I wish I had time to answer all of your questions, but luckily other resources are available. Look, without healthy relationships and a calm mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is help is available. You deserve to be happy, and now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. And as a special offer to Love & Libido listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash dremily. That's betterhelp.com slash dremily. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Hello, Lindsay. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so excited you're here with me today. I've been looking forward to this episode and have probably prepared a lot more for it than I do historically for a lot of my interview guests, for better or worse. Um, Just because when I saw you on Instagram, I, I thought that what you do is so unique because I haven't seen that many sex and relationship therapist who really focus exclusive, not exclusively, but primarily on using personality as a way to inform their work and treatment with clients. And so I was like, I have to have her on the show. Um, I think personality assessments are not only backed up by a lot of great science, but they're fun to do. And a lot of people take them and they'll come into my office with a lot of questions about their personality assessment. And I'm not an expert in personality. Um, So I think we have a lot to discuss and I cannot wait to dive in. But Before we do, tell me and our listeners a little bit about you and how you got into the field and how you came to focus on this aspect of sexuality. 
Yes. Um, so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist as well as a certified sex therapist. And I have been in my private practice, which is in South Minneapolis. I've been there 12 years. Um, and so before I was a therapist, I actually was doing social work in the community. So I was doing case management um, for, I did mental health case management for a while. And I did case management for clients that had physical disabilities. Um, what led me to therapy is I really wanted I loved being a social worker. I loved the case management piece, but it's so hard because there isn't a lot of shift or change, right? People usually, it's like, if we're, we're maintaining, that's like great. And that's like the goal. Um, and a lot of times people would get worse. And I was finding myself like not feeling as fulfilled as far mm -hmm. as like what I wanted out of my life. And so I went back to grad school, um, actually in my late twenties um, mm -hmm. to then go to be a marriage and family therapist. Um, and then when I was doing my practicum and internship, the interesting thing was, is I was at a site, um, it was called Neighborhood Involvement Program. Unfortunately, it's actually closed now, um, but it was a rape and sexual assault center, as well as a counseling center and a medical clinic for clients that didn't have health insurance. And so I was only, there were probably 20 um, interns there, and I was only one of two marriage and family therapists. So when couples, <laughs> when couples would come in, I would get them. And it was mostly couples at this particular site. And um, I'm sure like with many people that become therapists, like sex was one of the main issues kind of coming in. And I got one course on sexuality in my grad school program. And a lot of therapists get zero or none. Yeah, yeah. it's quite shocking. I yeah. mean, what you're saying is exactly right. You know, either it's an elective, it's not mandatory, or it's not offered at all, which is just mind boggling to me. Yeah, and I felt like underprepared and like didn't know necessarily how to like um, meet these people's needs and like, you know, like I've only had this one course on sexuality and so then I decided to per pursue the certification in sex therapy. Um, part of the reason for that for me as well is, is that I, I didn't experience sexuality the way that I think most people did. And I kind of wanted like people that were like me to sort of be more seen. Um, and I actually, when I first went to my first ASEC conference, I was like, oh my God, maybe I don't belong here. <laughs> tell, tell me what you mean by that. How did you perceive it? Um, well, what I found when I went to my first ASEC co conference is, is like either it was very clinical or behavioral focused, or there were people that I would say were a little bit boundaryless around their own sexuality. So like wanting to like share like lots of aspects of their own sexuality. And I'm going, okay, I'm not here. And I'm also like, you know, sexual, my own sexuality is sacred. And it really isn't something that I want to just like chat with the person I just met. I mean, yeah. of course I will, I will, I will talk with like close friends and things like that, but it's sort of this, like, for me, it's really personal, right? Yeah. It's like sexuality is very personal. It's between me and my partner. And so like, I was finding either like, it's very clinically focused and behaviorally focused, or you had the people that were there that were like, wow, like that's more than I needed to know about your personal sex life. Sounds like a sect. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> and for me, it's just so much more. I mean, it's to me, it's like being the, being the marriage and family therapist and the relational view. It's like se sexuality is really much more um, all encompassing. So like, I'm also certified in Gina Ogden's model, which is the 4D mm -hmm. model. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved her model because it would focus on, it focuses on the emotional story, the spiritual story, the physical story, um, and the, the uh, mental story. And so yeah. just how all four of those pieces really make up our sexuality. And that really hit more true to sort of how I was thinking about sex as well. That makes a lot of sense. 
And then tell me about the bridge then to personality and how that came to be an area of focus for you. Yeah, it was really interesting because I'd already been practicing and I'd already had, I already had gotten my certification as a sex therapist. I was probably, you know, three or four years into my practice when I sort of got introduced to the Enneagram. Um, and it was actually by two therapists that are here, um, which is Leslie Roots and Brooke Schmidt. Um, they both also have um, small private practices in South Minneapolis. And when they first brought it in, I did not like, I was like, what are they talking about? They're talking about these numbers. Um, and I didn't ask right away what they were talking about because we would get together before COVID, especially we would have lunch once a month and kind of like, you know, consult and all of this. And then I started learning sort of what the Enneagram was. And it's been actually really huge um, in my practice um, and especially bringing it in with the sexuality piece and the relational piece, sort of in helping clients make the movement that they want to make. Yeah. Well, let's dive into it. So explain to people what the Enneagram is. I think the best way to explain it is, is that there's nine different ways that we all approach the world. And within this, there are different things that we we are afraid of, as well as things that we want. Um, so I, for instance, am a nine on the Enneagram, which is the peacekeeper. So the main thing that I want in my life is calmness in my environment. I don't want to have conflict. I want to have connection to others. And my biggest fear is that I'm going to have disconnection, conflict, or sort of chaos around me. And then you have um, eight other types. So we have like our perfectionists, which want to be good within the world. Their biggest fear is they're going to be bad. And I'm making this very basic because yeah, I know we don't, I could, I could spend a whole, a whole time, a whole, a whole podcast talking about all of these. Yeah. Um, and then you have your helpers, which want to be loved and their biggest fear is that they won't be loved. You have your achievers, which want to be as successful um, or precious or, um, what's the other word for them? A lot of times with achievers, I always want to give the three words. It's like, it's like successful, special, special. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then you, and their biggest fear is that they're going to be seen as not successful or not, uh, not, you know, like, like that they're failing at what they're doing. And then you have your fours, which are your individualists or your romantics, and they want to be seen as for who they are as an individual within the world. Um, and their biggest fear is that they're flawed or, um, that they're not going to be seen really for who they are. You have your fives, which are your intellect or knowledge seekers, and they want to be seen as competent within the world. Their biggest fears will be seen as incompetent. You have your loyalists who want to, um, they want to feel safe and secure, and they need a lot of reassurance to show that they're okay within the world, and their biggest fear is that they're not going to get that. Mm. Uh, and then you have your sevens, which are your adventurers, um, and they want um, they want spontaneity and freedom, and their biggest fear is that they won't have that. And then you have eights, which are your challengers, um, and they're afraid that other people will control them, and, and their biggest, that so they want to be in control, but not controlling others. I think that's the interesting mm. thing is with eight. Eights yeah. is sometimes people take it as them trying to control others, but really what they're trying to do is have you not control them. Got it. Um, and again, I'm giving you the basics. Each type is much more complex than this, but here's yeah. just some of the basics of what each type needs. And they're really different, right? If you think about how each person is sort of approaching the world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I bet if I assessed my five-year-old, she would be an eight. I mean, since she was an infant, I couldn't swaddle her. She didn't want to be buckled in the car seat. I mean, girl is a free spirit through and through. So it <laughs> sounds about right. So explain to people what the difference is between something like the Enneagram assessment and 
the big five personality assessment or the Myers-Briggs? Because there's a few different ways of assessing personality. Why the Enneagram and how is it different or similar to some of the other measures? I think what I find with the Enneagram, because I've also used Myers-Briggs before, um, but it's been a long time, is that there's more complexity to it. So you also have um, on this actual, it's an actual diagram. That's why it's called the Enneagram. So you actually have a symbol that you could look at and you have a place that you're going to go when you're in a place of growth. And you also have a place that you'll go when you're um, not at your best. So like for me, for instance, I am linked to the achiever at a place of growth, so which means that I will have more presence. I will show up. I will do what I need to do within the world. And then I go to six, which is the loyalist when I'm having more stress, though, if you've done a lot of self growth, you can kind of access both points. And so for mm -hmm. six, it's more anxiety, worst case scenario, worrying about um, whether um, you know, worrying about whether people think those types of things, right, for me um, as well. And so, for, so it's kind of that idea of like, we have places we can grow, we have indications that maybe we're not at our best. Um, and so I just like the complexity of it. Mm -hmm. And so sort of that understanding of like, and, and I think like, you know, like with Myers-Briggs, I feel like a lot of times it's like, you are this, right? And like, even if you take like all the nines in the world, so all the peacekeepers in the world, like we're gonna look really different, but we all have the same motivation. And the same thing with each, like, so it's even interesting, like one with one sometimes that are like the perfectionists, Sometimes people are like, well, they want to be good. So they must be moralistic and have all of these types of, I'm like, well, it depends on what they think is their good and bad. They have mm. difficulty with the grades. So like a mastermind criminal could be an Enneagram type one. It would just be the structure within that way that that person is operating. And so like, what I love about it is it's like, you kind of have like each number has its colors. Like there's many different people that can exist. So you might be another nine and they could look, look completely different than me but they have the same underlying motivation. Interesting. I do think that's a really way interesting way of conceptualizing a person because I I not I don't use the enneagram in my own practice, but I do see a lot of people who I I can say they have the exact same core issues, but they present and manifest in totally different ways and I can total I can see how this measure would be a really great way of helping them understand themselves a little bit better and help guide the therapist. So <clears throat> how do you think people can use the Enneagram for self-growth and insight into their own issues? Well, I think one of the things when you look at it as well is, is sort of like, where are the areas that you need to push or challenge yourself? So like, I'll even take my type, which is the Enneagram type nine, right? Which is the peacekeeper. And we'll take the challenger and we're very opposite, right? Where they're like, don't want to be controlled. So like, so like I tend to, nines tend to be um, merged, they, they tend to accommodate, they tend to merge with others, they tend to not assert themselves. Um, when they do get frustrated and upset, they might even know what they need or want, so mm -hmm. they can have more passive aggressive behaviors, right? But if we take an eight who is on the other end of that, they actually get more aggressive, right? And they can even cross the line of being mean or, you know, like, well, it's 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 just fact, just take it that way, right? Yeah. But it can come off harsh and difficult for other people to experience. So if if I have these two people in my office, they need really different things. Like I'm not gonna tell an eight to be more assertive. They okay. actually need to like soften themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And pay attention to how they how they say things. And yes, truth is good and it's important, but sometimes how we say truths, it, it makes a difference how we say it. And they don't oftentimes, when they're like more like what we call like a fixated state, which means like you're an average level of health, you're kind of operating within the mechanisms of your type. 
um, they don't often think about how they say things. They just think like, hey, you should be able to handle this. And if you can't, that's about you, not me, right? And so yeah. their their journey is a lot of times to like, maybe I don't need to be the most assertive person. Maybe I don't need to be the person that is dominating the situation and like stepping back and giving more room for other people. But if you look at my type, the nine, it's like they actually need to do the opposite. Interesting. They need to take up more space. They need to be more assertive. They need to get in touch with what more of their needs and wants and desires are. And it's so like what I love about the Enneagram is, is that I then like when I know somebody's Enneagram type, like I sort of already have the idea of like, okay, like here's kind of what this individual, an idea of what they're going to need, right? Like where their challenges are, where their strengths are, like how can we enhance the strengths, but also push them into that place of a little bit uncomfortability. Um, like oftentimes with my own type, what I will say is, is like when you're more assertive, you actually get more of the peace and the calmness that you want later on. Interesting. Um, it's interesting because like I, I personally have done a lot of growth and I'm much more assertive. I am still highly anxious every time I have to be <laughs> like assertive and ask for what I need or want. Yeah. But I remind myself like, it's okay. Like you're gonna, you get it's more gonna peace. Pay off. <laughs> it's going to pay off. Right. But like an eight, for instance, wouldn't even that wouldn't even, they wouldn't, they wouldn't stop. They would be yeah. able to assert themselves and advocate. They oftentimes are more in touch with what they need and want and desire. Um, and I know I'm just kind of focusing on two types, but they're, they're two good ones to focus on because they're so different. So when you're working with couples, would you say that there are personality types that are more or less compatible with each other? Not necessarily. Um, I would say all types can be in relationships successfully if they want. Now, that being said, there are types that are more attracted to other types. Okay. Talk um, about that for a second. Yeah. So a lot of times, like I will see, like, so for instance, I'm going back to like nines, um, but a lot of nine. Um, so a lot of nine men end up in relationship with women that are either um, Enneagram type eights or Enneagram type ones. Mm -hmm. um, what I see for women that are nines, they oftentimes end up in relationships. Oh, even some of the same sex relationships I've had um, is interesting, like nines will end up with a five or a six. Um, and, and so you, you say you what see those numbers represent just for people who. Yes, sure. So, so the, the nine is the peacekeeper okay. and the six is the loyalist. Okay. Um, and then, the, 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 and then the five is the intellect or the knowledge seeker. I'm actually married to a five um, okay. myself. And just for um, anyone listening, check the show notes. Cause I'm going to list all of these in the show notes for a quick and easy reference. So you'll have it there. Yeah. And they can always go to like my um, Instagram page too, yeah. as well. And it'll have each type more explained out. So I realize if you're new to this, you're like, oh my gosh, what are all these types? I know, it's a lot. <laughs> and what do they mean? Yeah. And then like with the men, like the 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 nine men, the peacekeepers with the challenger and the nine men with the, the one with the perfectionist. I also okay. do see a lot of like- um, That those are more attracted to each other. More attracted to each other. And the okay. same thing with one and seven, mm -hmm. um, which one is the perfectionist and seven is the adventurer. I speculate it's because those numbers tend to have um, like the other person strong in the areas that you're weak. Yeah. Yeah. The old opposites attract. All, all opposites attract, but it's also <laughs> the things that drive them nuts about each other. Right, later on. right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And now a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Is emotional and physical intimacy a challenge in your relationship? Do you long for the feeling you had in the honeymoon phase? You're not alone. I've created a tried and true method for reinvigorating your relationship. My private online workshop takes an innovative yet scientifically based approach to teaching you the tools to cultivate passion and create connection that lasts. Visit emilyjamia.com slash workshop for your free trial. 
I am so confident that you'll have a positive outcome that I've created a 100% money back guarantee. You really have nothing to lose. And if that's not reason enough, subscribers to my podcast get 50% off. Subscribe to the show and use code half off at checkout. Offer expires at the end of the week. Visit emilyjamia.com slash workshop today. And now back to the episode. That's so interesting. So tell me a little bit about how this plays in to sex. What are you, what are you looking for as it relates to personality and sex? Are we assessing sexual initiative? Are we assessing desire? Are we assessing how present one is able to be like, what person, what does your personality say about your sexuality? And maybe you could go through each of the nine types and kind of say what the main highlights are. Yeah, I mean, all of it, all of the things that, that you said. For, yes, all of the above. I'll go through each type and just give like a little recap of sort of like how each one sort of approaches sexuality. Okay. And again, um, there's a part that I probably won't get a chance to talk about today, which is about instinctual stacking. And so if some people know the Enneagram, that piece will actually play more of a factor, but I don't want to overwhelm or like add in other things. <laughs> we'll have to have a part right two. Now. So, so, so come to my, come to my Instagram, look at the, how, what the instinctual stacking is. And so knowing that it might appear a little bit different for you, if you're instinctual, depending on your instinctual stacking, awesome. um, which we could Instagram is linked in the show notes as well, just for anyone. Listening. Yeah. Um, and I, but we'll just go like a brief one for each one. So okay. for perfectionists or ones, um, they tend to have more sensitive bodies. Um, and so how you touch them matters. Also, oftentimes things have to be just right for sex to happen. Um, and so um, for them, a lot of context will come into play and affect sexual desire, men and the men and the women. Um, it, there's not a difference here with either one. And so what, what I will oftentimes work with my ones on is, is like planned spontaneity, right? Like they will struggle a little bit more with spontaneous desire. They'll need to have a little bit more of like structure around that for that to kind of happen and occur. Um, and so like I will oftentimes that the thing that I will say is like, you know, put aside like, you know, three to four hours for romantic connective time with your partner for the opportunity to set for sex to happen. Obviously, not all of us can do that based on whether we have children or families, but I know they're going to be the most successful if they can do that. They'll have a harder time having spontaneous and like oftentimes like most of us don't like like let's have sex at 8 p.m tonight right sure. <laughs> um and then for our enneagram twos there are helpers um and sometimes what you can see with them is is that sex becomes the mechanism to get love and so there can kind of be this disconnect around the role of what sexuality is so they oftentimes don't know what they like and or want or desire they're going to mm -hmm. focus more on what their partners want and need. Um, and it's interesting, the difference between men and women. So the women that are twos, what will happen sometimes or a pattern that I've seen is, is that once they get into a committed relationship with a partner, sex doesn't fulfill the same role. And so they might not be as interested in sexual intimacy for a couple of reasons. One, they oftentimes don't know what they need or want. It was the mechanism to get the partner to want to be in relationship with them. They don't need to do that anymore. Um, but the men, but the men are kind of opposite they like need they need um the reassurance of sex to be happening to make sure that they are still loved so i think that's a very interesting dynamic between yeah. the differences between the sexes um this is one number in particular we actually see a difference most other numbers you don't okay. um and so I think that's really interesting that the men they'll like if sex isn't happening they get more worried that they're not loved they have more concern about that and so like again like again that, that sex kind of you know kind of disconnect like sex is about pleasure not right. about whether we're loved or not 
Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then for threes, our, our achievers, um, they are trying to be as impressive as they possibly can. And so oftentimes okay. sex becomes a little bit more of a performance. And say, so yeah. they're looking to society or their partner to like, know, like what, how can I perform well at sex? Like, mm -hmm. what do I need to do to impress you around sex? So similar to twos, they sometimes don't know what they like and want um, in need. And so they have to get more in touch with sort of what they, what they need or want as well. Yeah. Um, your individualists or your romantics or your fours, what you will see with them is they romanticize sex. And it's actually more about the soul connection, the sensuality than it is actually about the act of sex itself. Okay. Um, the hard thing for them sometimes is that they have a romanticized version of like what a partner should be. Mm. And oftentimes partners can't live up to whatever image that they have. And so there's mm. this constant seeking for that person to fulfill that. And then oftentimes they never really find the person that can fulfill that. Um, that they are one of our- Pressure on a relationship, I imagine. It does, it does put a lot of pressure on relationship for their partners, um, depending especially. And, and they also like, so three types have, we, we know statistically, my um, colleague, Sam um, E. Greenberg did some research on um, sexuality in the Enneagram. And we, it came out that the three types that have the highest desire levels are our fours and our sevens and our eights. And we're, we're going to come to them in a little bit. Okay. Um, and so like what you'll notice, and like, if we go back to ones, ones can have a little bit, um, I wouldn't say it's a desire thing, but they have to push through more, but it can look like to their partner, like it's a lower desire problem when it mm -hmm. isn't necessarily a lower desire problem. It's like, I just have more context that sort of affects my ability to move through through into desires and and twos can go like I told you they can go either way depending yeah. on if they're yeah. male or, or female um your fives are your intellect seekers um they are really good at compartmentalizing sexuality and so like they can have you know for them it's like sex is a separate thing from the other parts of their life mm -hmm. um and sex is about sex it is about the behavior of sex um mm -hmm. Except like when I went to the instinctual stuff, except for sexual fives, which again, you know, we won't get an opportunity to talk about, but I know there's going to be, Sam's a sexual five, there's going to be a sexual five, be like, that's not true for me. And you're right, it's not. There's always <laughs> exceptions to the rule. <laughs> um, but I, what I see for them is it's, it's compartmentalized. It has its place. It has its purpose. Um, they don't want to expend a lot of energy. So it's sort of like, let's get down to it. Yeah. Let's get down to sex. And, and they can also appear lower desire sometimes, right? Because they tend to be, um, they um, are like energy conservers. And so they don't want to expend a lot of energy. And sometimes engaging in sex can, a relational sex can mean that. So sometimes they might choose solo sex over relational sex. Okay. And so a lot of times when I'm working with a five, it's helping them understand the importance of the relational aspects of sex as well. Mm -hmm. And not always choosing sort of the in individual or solo sex as the option. Um, and then our sixes are loyalists. Um, sex is all about trust and security. So can I trust you? Um, they don't like things sprung on them sexually, um, though they're really willing to kind of go anywhere. And it's like one of the things with sixes is if you have a partner that's a six, it's like you need to sit down, have a conversation about mm -hmm. the behaviors you'd like to engage in. Well, I think we should all do this anyway. Yeah. Um, but that once they know what to expect, they have to be prepared to know what to expect. And if they're prepared and know what to expect, they can go along with you. But they will be, they do not like surprises in sexuality. They will get overwhelmed by that. They'll get frustrated with their partner if their partner springs something on them in the moment. Mm -hmm. But if you've had conversation with them ahead of time and then you bring in a sexual behavior, they're really open to go wherever you want to go. Interesting. 
Um, and then sevens are adventurers. Sex is all about play and fun. Um, they don't really want like seriousness brought in around sexuality. Okay. They, they can oftentimes be the ones that, like hop up right after sex. Uh-huh. And that can be confusing to partners because yeah. they're like, yeah, that was fun. Now like on to the next thing because like, they what, tend wait, to. What about the pillow talk? What about the pillow talk? Yeah. Um, and they're usually very willing to try kind of an adventurous to try all kinds of different types of sexual behaviors and things like that as well. Um, and, and they just want sex to be fun. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then for our eights or our challengers, sex is all about being alive. And so for them, it's the intensity. So they tend to like intense touch. They tend to like intense experiences. And they really, and I think sometimes it can be hard is because they do like intensity with sex. It can be hard for partners that need more softness or gentleness. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of times with eights, I'm, I'm working on them on like, more gentle touch. Yeah. <laughs> Not so hard touch. Taking it easy like a that. little bit. Taking it easy. And then for nines, um, they tend to like look again, look to their partner and they tend to merge with the partner around what they want sexual sexually. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like looking to the partner to know what what's happening and occurring and kind of like modeling their behaviors or actions during sex. And their biggest thing is not to merge so much with the partner. So it's interesting because most of the times, right, to have more of that deeper soul connection in sex, we want to merge. But like with nines, they actually need to not merge as much and kind of like keep part of their own autonomy during sex. And again, know what they need and want and desire and be able to advocate and assert for themselves. So if you can see, yeah, all of the types show up really different. Gosh, I can see how this would be so helpful working with clients around sexual issues. I mean, I really want to come take your course. I think it's awesome. Okay, Lindsay, I took the Enneagram in preparation for this episode. And I have my results here and I would love to tell you where I scored the highest and lowest and get okay. a little insight into my, how this may affect my sexuality and relationships. I'm going to put it out there for anyone listening. Okay. I scored the highest on number seven, which is the enthusiast. And then number three was a close second, which is the achiever. And then I scored pretty high on eight and two as well. And then I scored the lowest on six, which is the loyalist and four, five, and six were basically my lowest scores. So highest on seven and three lowest on four, five, six, spill the juice, squeeze the juice, <laughs> spill the tea. Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind with tests too, usually, usually you are one of the top three that you test for, but there are a few numbers that will test incorrectly. Okay. Which is my type, which is the nine and the sixes. Often okay. they're going to test incorrectly on the test. But if so, so I think if you're looking at like the seven and the three, um, the seven is, is, is the adventure of the enthusiast, right? And so they tend to like for, for sexuality, like sex is fun, it's pleasure, it's joy, those types of things as well. Mm -hmm. um, and three is quite a bit different actually, because three is the achiever, I know. right? And so for I them, it's about like cancel each other out. Yeah. So then the three is more about performance, right? And, and wanting to be, uh, wanna, wanting to achieve, impress, or be precious. And so I don't know which one of those you feel like fits better for you. Yeah. Even when I talked about the sexuality and one of the, the sexuality pieces fit better for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like I can definitely see some number, like a lot of number seven. And I wonder if I got the number three because I am a sexuality professional. And so there's, you know, maybe in that part of my life, that's how sexuality is manifesting, you know, and trying to be successful in helping others with sexuality. Yeah. 
Well, and I wonder because you also scored high in eight, <clears throat> you know, because like you, I think you had yeah. eight, like, yeah. So like, so a lot of times what I look at, like, and I always encourage people, like when you take these tests, what it does is help you hone in on the numbers to like look at and like mm -hmm. to know where you possibly might be. And like I just said, there might be, you know, there's two that often test incorrectly. So like, you know, start looking at them, start investigating. It doesn't mean that your top one came up is actually what you are. And you can always, point. Mm -hmm. it gives you a starting point. And I oftentimes encourage people to the, like, when you, if you're really interested in it, to find someone that can do more in can, can do more of the interviewing and typing with you, sure. um, you know, and there's, and there's, uh, the IEA has like a whole list, which is the International Enneagram Association of people that are accredited, mm -hmm. um, any of those people and can do, you know, the Enneagram typing interviews with you. And there's even some people that aren't accredited that are actually great at this as well. And I'm happy. Yeah. Um, I do this. Other people do this. I'm happy mm -hmm. to ever give referrals if people need that. Um, but oftentimes I'll say like, I, I will look at it when I, people do the tests. And so like, let's say you had seven and three. So seven and three, like you also have like the wings of the numbers next to you. So you can mm -hmm. have like, so like for me, I'm a nine with a wing of one. So like I okay. have, I am the peacekeeper who kind of borrows from one sometimes. So like I will use some of the perfectionist tendencies to, if my environment looks perfect, then mm -hmm. I feel calm, right? Mm -hmm. And so for you, like I wonder, okay, so if you scored seven, you scored high in eight, like are you a seven who kind of like borrows from eight sometimes Yeah. to, to be able to sort of, you know, keep your freedom per se, yeah. right? Like I might yeah. get assertive to kind of keep my freedom uh -huh. when it's needed. Um, and so you could kind of look, look at it like in that kind of a way as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, like I think like with, with sevens, what they tend to do, like a really good characteristic is that they tend to be, they're like, they're like really intelligent and they love all the information. They can go from like thing to thing to thing to thing. And it's about that slowing down mm -hmm. and sort of recognize like I can stay with one thing for a little bit yeah. and I can write down all the wonderful thoughts and ideas that I have, but like that ability to kind of stay in one area. And so like when I see sevens have their growth, they do kind of are able to do that better. Right. Mm -hmm. And kind of stay in one place a little bit, but they're going to be in relationship. What I see with sevens in particular is, is like if a partner pushes on their freedom, they're going to like, their tendency can be like, that feels really icky. I don't like that. Uh -huh. um, you know, sevens tend to be like when they're like away from their partner, not that they don't love them or care about them, but they might forget to check in. Okay. And so then their partners go like, what happened? Do I matter to you? Do I not oh, matter no. to you? No, my husband like, and I are always like, which one of us is out of sight, out of mind? And which one of us is absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> <laughs> and sevens tend to be out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> is that accurate? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Um, and so like that ability, like, yeah. And so that can be, that can be the thing that I deal with sometimes with sevens people that are in relationship with sevens is like do you care about me do you love me you know mm -hmm. because like you're not keeping that thread of yeah. connection when you're not with them mm -hmm. um and they like and they tend to like like I need to leave I need to go do my own thing I need to yeah. do it without you so that I can come back and love you more and that yeah. can you know for some types that can be hard um when they want to be with their partner more often than not like say for right. like a six that could create some like security like oh my gosh like I don't feel safe sure. or secure and yeah. you know and, the, and those types of things but it would depend and, on this on the six as well yeah and just listening to you talk about this I mean I'm, I'm also hearing a lot of parallels with attachment theory and people who are more avoidant versus more anxious versus secure and I can see how this could add just such another interesting and complex layer to what you would learn about someone based on their attachment type. Yeah. And, 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 it, and, and we're noticing, or I'm noticing other therapists are noticing that, that, that like different Enneagram types do have tendencies towards mm -hmm. different attachment styles mm -hmm. as well. 
So as kind of a final question, I guess what I'm curious about is how much of our personality do you think can be shaped? You know, we have this information and I think that there are people in one camp who say, our personality is more fixed. We're born with specific traits versus people who believe that, you know, with the right mindset and tools, we can change, we can grow. And, and I can see just based on the Enneagram and what one could learn about themselves that, and with the guidance of a therapist, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of room for growth and change, but I'm curious to hear what you think. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that like with the Enneagram, right? Like I'm always going to be a nine. Like that piece of me is never going to go away. If you're a seven, you've always been a seven. Mm -hmm. You can't become a different type. But I think but I think what's beautiful about the Enneagram is, is that, I mean, uh, Russ Hudson used this term, which is a really big person in the Enneagram world. And he said like, like the Enneagram shows you the box you're already stuck in. So it gives you the insight of like, here's the box I've been living in and I don't need to live in this box anymore, but I'm always going to be a nine. So like, even like when I shared with you, it's like my tendencies are to not be assertive, not to ask for what I need or want to be people pleasing, um, you know, to, to become passive aggressive when needs are not being met. Mm -hmm. I still have all those thoughts in all those ways of being, but the difference is I, it's like, it's like kind of that movement from like, I can be a subjective experiencer of my type or I can choose to be objective mm. of what's happening in my inner mechanisms and decide whether I want it to have control or not. Yeah. So because I now know like what my mechanisms are, mm -hmm. like I can say like, okay, this is your tendency. This is where you're comfortable. This is where you want to sit and to actually have growth and to show up and have more presence in the world. I need to push beyond that. Mm -hmm. And so the Enneagram gives you that, that lens of like, here's the things you need to work on. Yeah. to show up differently. But your first thoughts are always, like I told you, like, I'm always don't want to. Like that automatic reaction is always yes. going to be there. And yeah, so what I'm hearing is there's going to be maybe because of your personality trait, what you're born with, an automatic core feeling or reaction towards the world, but, or your environment, but with insight and mindfulness, so identifying what that automatic feeling is, creating perhaps a little bit of space, you can then choose to behave a little bit differently in the world. And that's where the growth is. Exactly. That's exactly where it is. And the Enneagram gives you that information to know like what your growth point is like, right? Like an eight doesn't need to be more assertive. A nine right. does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is so interesting. I'm so glad that we had the chance to talk and that we scheduled the interview. Where can people find out more about you and um, maybe learn more about the Enneagram? Um, so you can find me on Instagram, which is Lindsay Fraser LMFT. And then my colleague and I, Sammy Greenberg, do Sexy First Fridays on Instagram Live once a month, which is always the first Friday of the month um, at 12 p.m. CST in 30 minutes. Um, and so that's a great place to come if you want to just watch. She's a, a sexuality and Enneagram researcher. And then you have me as your therapist. So it's a really great, uh, great place to come and learn the research and learn what I'm seeing in the therapy practice. Um, and then my website is just lindsayfraser.com, which you can also find me there. Um, I, I do have a Facebook page, but I'm not on there as often, which is just L Lindsay Frazier LMFT CST. Um, but the best place to probably get in contact with me would either be on um, Instagram is probably where I'm the most active um, or just actually even just directly emailing me if you have questions or things that you would like to know. Awesome. And again, everything is linked in the show notes. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. Yeah, thank you. 
Thanks again for listening to Love and Libido with me, your host, Dr. Emily Jamia. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and drop me a five-star review. Share with a friend who might find it interesting. As much as we can learn from experts, nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing from each other. If you have a story that relates to today's episode or just a general question about sex or your relationship, visit loveandlibido.com and I'll share it on an upcoming episode. Be sure to visit my website, emilyjamia.com to see my latest blogs and to check out my online workshop. Subscribers to my podcast can use code half off. Finally, you can follow me across all the social media channels for daily sex and relationship tips at Dr. Emily Jamia. Thank you so much for tuning in.